Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light topics surrounding health, wellness, and workplace culture in the food and beverage industry. Through these conversations, I hope to explore the unique challenges that hospitality workers face from workplace relationships and work-life balance to guest interactions and everything in between. This week, my guest is John DeBerry, a celebrated mixologist, author, and workers' right advocate with over a decade of experience crafting delicious drinks. He's written for GQ, Bon Appetit, Punch, and many more publications, as well as published his own book, Drink What You Want. In 2018, he co-founded the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, which is dedicated to finding structural solutions to quality of life issues facing workers in the hospitality industry. Gather myself. There will be no tears. This is the perfect amount of time for me to have stopped crying because, like, once we're done, I'm gonna go to work. So, like, an hour and a half from now, it like hopefully my eyes won't even look like I spent the entire morning crying. So, yeah, you know, by the time well, I get there, I'll just be like, I don't know. Shouldn't shouldn't we like normalize crying? <laughs> I I mean, like, I literally cry all of the time. Like, I cry so much. Like, it makes my partner uncomfortable because I think he just doesn't. He, I mean, I he's like. That's <laughs> He just like doesn't cry and like we're just talking about something totally normal and I'm like <laughs> and he's like oh. <laughs> and I'm like no it's fine and I'm just crying. <laughs> um, that actually happened the other day we were um, talking about um, tales of the cocktail spirited awards and um, you know I I like I just got like emotional talking about like why it's important to me to get nominated, even yeah. though it's like, you can recognize why everybody has an argument for why it's stupid or why it's not stupid. And right. it was just like, you know, there's nothing, there's no like mat, you know, like feat of circumstance necessarily that particularly means that I should cry about wanting to be nominated for the spirited awards. Just like, He's like, I didn't mean to upset you. And I'm like, I'm not upset. I don't even know really why I'm crying. I'm just talking about something that's important to me, I guess. Yeah, it's like an emotional display or it's like a weird reaction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think feel like I do that a lot when I laugh. Like I'll like laugh a lot and like laugh at myself as like a sort of just a go-to where other people wouldn't be laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I think for me, it's definitely a physical response. Like I if I'm talking about something I feel emotional about and whether that emotion, it's typically like an, an anxiety or like a sad mm -hmm. or like kind of emotion, but sometimes that happens when I'm just passionate about something, but I like, I like, I can't control my breathing. And so when my breathing gets tight, then I immediately yeah. start crying. It's like, it, right. it's just, like, I can't stop it. Like it's going to happen. So like, yeah, I'll have like a work review or something. And we're like, just talking about it's not bad. You know, it's like, it's not bad. Maybe it's just yeah. serious or like, maybe there's just like something that we're reflecting on. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm crying. Like, I don't know why I just can't breathe. And so now I'm crying. Uh, well, um, you know, this is, I think we we'll just get started this way. I think it's <laughs> just like you and I are both in this like kind of interesting headspace and I've kind of been enjoying these podcast episodes that don't start the way that they normally start. So for everyone that is listening, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health. And today I have with me John DeBerry. And 
I'm so excited to get to talk to you. We've never gotten to meet in person, but we follow each other on social media, which is like the tale of, of our times. Um, and I really admire you. And I think you're an incredible person. And I'm so excited to get to sit here and talk to you on a day where mentally and emotionally, I am feeling very, very vulnerable. Um, so thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, would you mind, uh, before we keep talking about how much we like to cry, um, <laughs> let, letting everybody listening know who you are, um, maybe a little bit about um, what you do, and then maybe like a little bit of the path that brought to you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, it's always like a funny story whenever I start like listing my, what I do, because I feel like I'm like, Danny Targaryen from Game of Thrones, like listing off all these things. But um, <laughs> so I guess <laughs> kind of like the, the, probably the reason why I'm here is uh, in my capacity as a co-founder uh, and board president of the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Uh, I'm also an author. I wrote a cocktail book called Drink What You Want. It came out last year. Uh, I do a bunch of freelance writing as well. And I also, uh, own a line I created a line of non-alcoholic botanical drinks called Proto um, and I have a cat and he's sitting next to me right here. oh what's his name Felix Felix I saw him walk by earlier I just like saw a tail <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, my dog my dog often like will come and like sit next to me when I'm recording she doesn't like me being sitting higher than her like she she's like mm. why aren't you on the couch like and so she'll like come put her little like paws on my leg but she's at her dad's mm. house today so you won't she won't make a star appearance um well it's I'm really happy to, to get to chat um you know we got we actually it's it's so funny we like you know, obviously our, our industry is, is massive. I mean, that's obviously been proven over this year, but our, our bubbles within this industry are, are quite small typically as I yeah. find. And so, you know, we have all, we know all these people um, and have all these acquaintances in common, but um, the reason why we got connected in the first place is because your god sister was staying at the Rainbow Hotel um, here in Denver. And I, and I got to know her while she stayed with us. And so after a conversation, she, uh, was like, oh, I need to introduce you to John. And I was like, I know who he is. He's so cool. <laughs> um, and, and she was like, Oh really? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. I follow him on Instagram. He's so cool. Um, oh. so it was really, it was awesome. It's just like, so cool the way, like, the, you know, our, our industry lets us make these connections that like, yeah. I, I often, I think like, am. I can be a little closed off behind the bar. I think that like, I, I like don't necessarily, I think the mental hurdle of like being able to like open up to my guests can be hard for me sometimes because like, yeah. I, um, I just get anxious about having to talk to strangers and like think of the Same. conversation. Yeah. So it was like really awesome to like get to know her and it helped that she was at the hotel for a while. Um, because of a little bit of unfortunate circumstances, but it was really nice to get to know her over the time she was there. And so it was cool to like make actually a connection um, and then just really get to see kind of how our world is so interconnected. Um, and yeah, I just am appreciative of uh, Nicola for introducing us and letting us uh, get to record this podcast today. Looking to reclaim some of the restorative time that you lost during the last few months? Be sure to check out the pre-shift meditation series brought to you by Beam Suntory's Bourbon Time. It takes place in the last Monday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern, now through September. For more information, 
please visit fohealth.org. So I think I'd like to start by talking about the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. Sure. Um, obviously, this year has probably been, I mean, not obviously, but in my mind, this year's probably been <laughs> absolutely wild for y'all. Um, yeah. How did it How did it start? When did you y'all found it? Um, and what what brought it about for you personally? Like what drove you to, to yeah. start this? Um, it all kind of started... Uh, the explicit idea was kind of generated uh, in like a post-election 2016 kind of feeling of existential despair and panic. And um, that the election was sort of like the culmination of a bunch of like personal mental health issues that had been sort of silently accumulating. Over the years, personally? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like my mother died in 2013, and it was pretty traumatic. Um, and just undiagnosed, like anxiety disorder. I just thought that was how people were, and I didn't realize <laughs> these behaviors were something you could do something about. Um, and as that's sort of everything all came cr- crashing down for me, kind of on at the election, like that was like it. That was the sledgehammer. Um, and I think of one of the. Uh, my more memorable feelings from that time was just like really helplessness, like feeling really, really helpless and helpless for yourself and helpless like for other people. Like how can I possibly do something? This is gonna be so bad. Like this administration is gonna roll back life for so many people. Um, and you know, what, what, what can we do? You know, what, what, what are we gonna do? So I was having this conversation kind of uh, with a, a former colleague of mine, Alex Pamulier, who's the co-founder of the foundation. Uh, I was on the train to uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to see my in-laws for Thanksgiving. And we had this like furious text message conversation about like ways of aggregating and organizing and reallocating the power and wealth and you know all the good stuff in the restaurant industry to start to like make change that will benefit people in the restaurant industry um, and, and kind of really, how do we get to create a sense of, which has now happened. So it's kind of a like dream come true moment, but in a very me- messed up way. But how do we get people to understand that rest- people who work in restaurants, people who work in hospitality have like disproportionate quality of life issues. They are underpaid for the most part. They're specifically vulnerable to a lot of things um and they also intersecting with like race and gender it's like it's a very like vulnerable population and if we try to protect those workers in the industry that'll have kind of a radiating effect outwards and you know you go to a restaurant or a bar and everyone's miserable and the food can be good but like you never want to go back you know or you go to a bar or restaurant and the food's kind of whatever but everyone's having a great time and it's just like this wonderful place to be on like an emotional level like you don't care about the food so it's so it's really about it like making the industry more more hospitable in like radiating outwards from the, from the worker uh at the center and we had this sort of like weird hedge fund idea at first and then i was talking uh, to my husband michael romali who's worked in philanthropy for his whole career and he was like oh you should start a community foundation and so a community foundation is uh, like other foundations it does primarily gives grants, uh, but the community part means that we raise money from 
the community that we're trying to, to serve. So, you know, unlike a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it starts with money and they're giving it away. It's we have to also fundraise. So um, that was uh, that was the model that we started with. We got our 501c3. We have uh, defined sort of four general program areas of like these are the issues that are facing restaurant workers. And one of them is wage fairness, you know, wage equity, career ladders, all that. Um, you know, gender, sexual harassment, you know, gender discrimination, uh, racial discrimination, um, you know, exploitation of immigrants, uh, and then uh, mental health and substance use. We're kind of those are our four kind of buckets, but they all kind of over overlap and intersect uh, pretty deeply. Um, and 2018, uh, we we launched a little little party in our in our apartment in 2018. It's like 30 people. We we raised maybe five thousand dollars. Uh, in that year uh, and then 2019 was our first kind of official year uh, we did Negroni week which was a really great source of funds for us and a really great way to get the, the word out um, and we were just slowly gathering steam like it wasn't going to be a full-time job for anybody you know for us for me I was never planning for you know to take over my life um, you know we thought maybe in five years we could hire someone to to run this you know once we get enough, you know once we get enough funding um, but then uh, uh, March 2020 happened and we knew we had to do something. You know, we, we, we didn't think that we were particularly going to make a massive difference because we were so small, but we were like, we have to do something. We can't just like sit this one out. Uh, so so we, we set up a separate fund for COVID relief and we structured the fund so that half of it goes to um, the Southern Smoke Foundation, which does direct financial assistance to people who are you know, facing you know, crisis. Uh, and a quarter of it goes to uh, nonprofits that are providing services, whether it's like mental health or immigration support, legal aid, um, food, you know, food security, uh, and then the remaining quarter goes to a, a zero interest loan fund that we set up uh, with, a, with a with a bank, basically um, called a, called Ascendus. And yeah, we just like it was kind of one of those things where we had a meeting, we put you know, put our plans together, wrote a little like web page for it, and then you wake up the next day and it's like you're have like 20 million tech messages from people and it's like <laughs> everything's going haywire and like we had all these donations coming in all this press happened and the first week of covid was really just like 18 hour you know days of just like trying to get this set up and realizing that this was going to be both as effort on our part was going to be a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be but also that this crisis wasn't just because some two week you know blip but this is going to be real real shit and on the other side of it you can't just act like we just need to go back to normal and everything's fine again it's like there's a deeply deeply ingrained structures in the restaurant industry that are causing a lot of harm for people so why not use this as an opportunity to to rebuild um away from those things yeah absolutely um do you feel comfortable talking about the anxiety stuff like sure from awesome um, totally yeah I'm, I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit from you about like what the, what those experiences were like, especially like working in high profile cocktail bars in, in New York city. Um, and if you felt like your anxiety, um, like, like made those experiences different from for you, or do you feel like were those kind of, was that separate from work life for you? Um, mm. or did they like intersect? Yeah, I never really thought about it. But it's interesting to think about, like, 
I think that there's with, with my anxiety, it's also kind of hard to disentangle like from being gay too, because it's a sense of like vigilance. You always kind of have to be like really aware of what's going on and like really sure. on top of those around you, like, you know, checking in all the time. So it kind of lends yourself really well to be working in a, a restaurants and bars where you're like constantly checking in with people and you're trying to like be really empathetic and like feel how they're feeling you. Um, and it was a job that I didn't think that I was going to ever have, you know, I, I was probably going to go to law school or something, you know, standard. Uh, but I just got a job at PT and I loved it. And like, I turned into a different person in a way. It's like almost like a, like a superhero kind of costume where people would come in who knew me from before or even my, my husband would come in and he'd be like, you're actually just a different person behind the bar. Like you just put on this whole version of yourself. That's like, <laughs> not like brooding and, and quiet in the corner. Like we actually, like, <laughs> <laughs> I do like to imagine you like brooding and quiet in the corner behind the bar though. And everyone's like, is he? No, okay. I was like the nice one. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah. It's just like a funny image. I had the, I had the like brooding standing in the corner. I had the brooding bartenders are <laughs> the ones that trained me. So I was like, mm, you guys are not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think about that a lot. I mean, like my anxiety constantly is something that it intersects a lot with my career. Um, and, yeah. you know, uh, and I didn't, I think for a long time, I didn't think that it intersected with my relationships as much. And now I'm like, oh no, it definitely does. <laughs> what a silly thing to think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like just, That's I'm, cute. I'm like, yeah, that's cute. Um, yeah, I'm like hyper aware of how it affects my relationship with my work and also like just my mental like, yeah, I mean like, I mean like the, and like the joke that everybody always makes on social media, I guess. And it's like, and it's funny because it's true. It's like the jokes of like always being afraid I'm going to get fired. You know, like there's always yeah. like a great, there's a great TikTok video. I saw a new one actually that I posted the other day that's like, you know, it's like Shania Twain playing in the background and this guy is like getting ready to go to work. And he's like, overwhelming anxiety, I'm going to get fired <laughs> and my addiction to coffee. And it's like, let's go girls. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Oh. But like, you know, it's like that constant joke, but it's like, yeah, for me, that's um, like a constant conversation in my head of like, I'm always trying to convince myself why my brain is wrong for thinking that I'm going to get fired. Like it's, I'm always like, no, because, you know, like today I did this one thing that proves that I'm like, good yeah. at my job have you ha I, I guess like this maybe leads into another question is like transitioning from like working behind a bar um and and now you have your hands in all kinds of different stuff you're writing all the time you've created an incredible non-alcoholic brand um and then you're on you know on the the board of this nonprofit. do you how has that transition been for you like have you had any yeah, experiences that you want to share in that, I guess. Yeah, um, I like I have a. I'm sort of like I'm like a long haul kind of person, you know. Like I'm, my only relationship is the one I have with my husband. We've been together for fifteen, sixteen years, uh, you know, since we started dating, and that was it. And I was like, I met him. I'm like, okay, this is great. This is perfect. And I have feel the same way about jobs. Where I started at PDT, I loved it. I was there for five and a half years, which is like, not for. For PDT, people stay forever because it's amazing. But in the restaurant industry, five and a half years is like an eternity. Uh, yeah. And then I also worked for Momofuku for nine years, which is pretty absurd. You know, yeah, <laughs> just to work anywhere for nine years, let alone a restaurant. Um, and my 
life was always kind of in flux though because I was working as a bartender and then I was working as like the bar director like opening restaurants and like going like flying to Vegas and like trying training bar staff and like so it is very like chaotic and everything was kind of always changing uh in a good way it wasn't you know too chaotic um and so the transition to working for myself felt really gradual actually like it felt just sort of like an easy transition from just picking up different projects in a way um and i sort of gradually transitioned out of working for momofuku like i was part i was full-time for for a long time and then i just went, went to part-time and and I was just like, I'm too busy. I, I just need to focus on my own thing. So it was a very like easy, smooth thing. Um, and the working for yourself is uh, is like a different kind of anxiety, you know, than working for someone else and trying to like, uh, you know, please, you know, someone, you know, you're, it's like, how, how do you define your own success and how do you hold yourself accountable to it? It's like, that's like breaks me because it's like, I, you know, it's like, Who's telling me I'm going to be doing a good job, you know? Right. You got to start um, like leaving sticky notes on your like bathroom mirror at night. So you like wake up in the morning and yeah, maybe get your husband to leave them around the apartment or yeah. maybe send you like a really like praising email. No, oh, I don't need that. <laughs> um, I, had a, I had a friend tell me once that she does like a whiteboard thing where she basically just like writes down everything that's happened like in the past three weeks and you just like look at all of it. And you're like, oh, actually I did a lot of stuff. Because you, you you get lost in the weeds a lot, yeah. So in a way, I almost like miss bartending. I kind of like have this like fantasy of like working in some like just like some bar, like no cocktails, like a gay bar, you know, in, in Manhattan somewhere or something. Just like vodka soda and like pouring beers and just like being back to that. Because it really is something nice to you can just go in, and it's like you're putting your body in a certain mode, and then you use that, and then you're done. Yeah. Yeah. You like literally walk in and clock in. It's not like yeah. a, it's like that for me for yoga. Like I have to go to the studio. I need to like walk in the doors yeah. and like be there. Um, yeah. I get that. Yeah. I'd never thought about it that way about like, because for me, like the thing that is like getting old with bartending is like, even though service is different every night, you know, even though there's like different fires to put out every day yeah. and you can't predict what those will be the mechanics of it are the same you know it's like you show up you set up you put out fires for seven hours and then you break yeah. it down and you like wipe the same things every day and you like yeah. mop the same floor every day and so like i think i'm getting to that point where i'm like oh my god like i don't want to wipe this bar down anymore <laughs> um but i never thought about the opposite side of that of like being able to like wipe that last piece of the back bar and then just like put the towel into the thing and like punch out yeah <laughs> and now you don't get to do that anymore yeah I never had thought about that really interesting um I would love to talk about your book um admittedly I don't own it yet and I need to go buy it um oh. what led you to write it uh well a few different well, I got really lucky in that I uh, had found an agent really, really early on who was super helpful. And that's anybody who's looking to write a cocktail book, I would suggest finding an agent for anything else because yeah, <laughs> it would be a huge help. And trust me. Um, so I got connected with an agent and started to sort of think about the idea. But prior to that, I had been writing manuals and training people how to make 
drinks for a long time, you know, either informally at PDT when people would come on or new or, and then formally at Momofuku, I'd be writing all these manuals for every restaurant for how to make drinks. And I would train their whole staff how to do stuff. And sometimes we train people from zero, you know, we wouldn't hire, you know, fancy, you know, fancy pants bartenders because we didn't need them. We would just train other people up to it. And um, that was a really cool experience to be able to take a lot of the arcane bar knowledge and all these things that feel so like not stuffy, but just feel so like are like revered and hallowed and try to like, okay, hey, you off the street. I need to explain this to you in five minutes. Like like distilling all that down, no pun intended, um, was something I had to do over and over and over again. So it made a lot of sense to write a book that was sort of with that in mind, where it was like, I don't want to get into all this like dorky history. There's plenty of books about gin you can read. Like this is just like why you're gonna like drinks. And like, this is the basics and this is, how to understand your own sense of what's good and then everything else after that doesn't really matter like if you like the drink fuck it right you know? <laughs> right oh, i love that all right i'm like literally getting online to buy it as soon as we're done um oh i can't wait to read it um how was so it came out during the pandemic yeah um how was that experience i mean like in my in my mind, I mean, and I don't want to put any words in your mouth, and maybe you don't feel this way, but I would imagine, like, if I wrote my first book, I would imagine like the launch parties and like all the things that would make it feel so like all that hard work to be so rewarding. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a lot of time to like psychologically prepare for not having to <laughs> having a launch party or really much of anything uh, for now. Um, because you know the pandemic hit my book came out in june uh so i was like maybe i'll do something in the winter like i don't know maybe and now i'm like maybe i'll do like a one-year anniversary party you know like <laughs> even yeah. that's like uh, um so yeah it's uh in a way like been cool because the, the the um the outreach that you do and the kind of events that you're doing online there's so much less friction when it comes to setting them up you know it's just like you can do a book talk with someone and you can, you can come together in a day rather than it being some whole big thing that, that gets planned, you know, for weeks and weeks and travel and all this and schedules. So it was kind of cool to, to have that sort of distributed out um, more diffusely around the book rather yeah. than some, a couple of big events, uh, which I would have obviously loved and hope to still do. Um, and yeah, and I, I obviously I wrote this book in 20, like a couple of years ago. So I wasn't planning on it being a pandemic when the book came out, but I feel like it's really well suited, you know, to, to the, to the moment of just like, you're just here making things for yourself. Here's how to understand why you like the drinks that you like, and here's how to get to that point with very basic tools. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were sort of doing that for themselves uh, last year and continuing into this year. So I think it definitely hit the right time. So it weirdly felt appropriate. <laughs> For yeah. it to come out during a pandemic. Yeah, You're like I didn't plan it. I promise. <laughs> um, I can't wait to buy it. I'm literally like, I'm trying. I'm like trying to not like go away from the Zoom <laughs> to just like go pull it up right now. Um, I'm really, really excited for it. I mean, I just think that I think that's. I love being able to like take things that we're really passionate about and like you can 
talk all the like nerdy bar five day backstory on every minutia of it. But then just to like have a normal conversation with somebody and be like, oh, it's just like, do you like it? Like, yeah. does it taste good to you? Yeah. Amazing. Like we don't have to talk about Great. the mash bill of the bourbon that goes yeah, in the string. Exactly. Like, awesome. Like, I'm glad you like it. Um, yeah. 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 Like I, like I, I don't even really talk about distillation like chemically at all. Like it's not even that. It's just like you, spirits get made and they taste like this. It's like really, really just like, I found a lot of, I feel like a lot of people are really intimidated um, with drinks in, in the way that they aren't with like food books per se, yeah. maybe, you know, everyone's like, oh, if I, everyone's like, John, can I do this? Like, will this be good with this? And I'm like, probably, you know, yeah. like, just try it. Like, you're not going to kill yourself, you know, unless it's poison, you know, it's, um, so I think <laughs> a lot of people just kind of need, need like the per permission to do to like to to have their own experience and come to their own conclusion because i think a lot of times when like i think as a as the bar industry was like getting its sort of like fancy legs back on you know in 2008 you know when people like me started bartending it was very much like oh we know better you know no vodka you know this is this is the drink that we're making and if you don't like it fuck off um and that that was cute for a couple of years like i guess but <laughs> i don't think that's the way forward in terms of like a real you know, inclusive environment for everybody. Um, and so I think people are sort of scared of saying the wrong thing or like offending someone. It's like, hey, if I like, if I put these two things together and I think it's delicious, is it wrong? And you're like, no, I might not like it. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I really appreciate that way of thinking. Yeah, I hope that that, more of that, more of that, like, stop, stop with the whole, like, oh, we know better, or like, how dare you? And because that can be like damaging for years, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think I, like every bar around that time was that way. I mean, Death & Co certainly was. And, you know, now there are things that show for that. Like we don't have very many vodka cocktails to work from when somebody right. wants a unique vodka cocktail. Um, I had, I needed to write a unique stirred vodka martini variation for some people. And I was trying to look around for some inspiration and there's not much to show for it. You know, like there was yeah. not much inspiration to be had. Like I was like, okay, well, <laughs> guess I'm on my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guess I'll figure it out. Um, yeah. So, you know, like, I guess thinking a little bit more about like the perspective of how your, yeah, how your actions will resonate years later you know over 10 years later yeah yeah like uh, I, and I was always I was always kind of like kept fighting not fighting against it but I was always that was like my my thing I wanted to just be ridiculous you know and because a bar you know bar restaurants like that you know are, are ridiculous so it's like let's push it let's see what we can do like I've got a blue buttered rum drink on the menu at PDT it's been there forever it's like still on the menu like like a blue drink with an umbrella you would, never, you would like, <laughs> never see that you know in a you never expect to see that in some like neo speakeasy but i think that's what makes it so uh what makes pdt so great because i think it definitely wrote that line of like it's hard to get into and it's a little stuffy but also everyone's really nice and they want to have fun with you and they want you to have fun uh, yeah so. and well it's like oh well, yeah it's hard to get into and 
oh, are you hungry? Like you can have a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right? Exactly. Like, yeah. like, like here's your really nice cocktail. Oh, you wanted to have a meal? Like, yeah, we yeah. have hot dogs and they're delicious, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. We, ha- we have time for probably like one more question. So I'm thinking, um, I guess I'd like to circle back to the restaurant workers community yeah. uh, foundation. And, um, you know, on the, on our email, when we were kind of, kept, when you sent me some thoughts for ideas and we were kicking back some stuff to talk about, like your second bullet point was, you know, the recovery and rebuilding of our industry um, post COVID. Yeah. And I think like, sometimes it's like hard for me to say like post COVID because it's like, it genuinely feels like maybe it will never end. Um, yeah. I think post COVID is probably not ever going to be a thing. Yeah. But like, but we <laughs> will like, but we will have an opportunity. We currently have an opportunity to rethink everything about our industry and yeah. the way it works. And that, and that really is a blessing in disguise as, as hard as it has been, but like change is never easy and, and right. cha- change worth happening is things that are, are challenging. So, you know, we do have a great opportunity and um, I would love to hear what you think are the things that absolutely like cannot be compromised when it comes to rebuilding and, or changes that need to be made. Well, you know, it's like definitely like I feel you on like it's great we have this opportunity. I really wish it didn't happen this way, but we have it nonetheless, and you can either use it or or squander it. Um, and I think that what for me one of the lessons of the pandemic for like the public, um, aside from low wages and working conditions and all that stuff, that's now definitely uh, you know a topic of conversation. Uh, but just, I think the emotional um, gap that was left by the restaurant experience, I think people really felt that, especially in early early on. We had, you know, it's just so many small donors, so many people coming to us, um, trying to help. You know, they were offering you know, their, their time or their their money or whatever they could. Um, and you could, you could really feel like that once the hospitality experience was so, like, abruptly taken away and turned from this like very safe, wonderful, joyful experience to like, am I gonna die? You know, like <laughs> sitting in a restaurant, you know, it's like, that, that's just like really traumatic. Um, and I think people are, are understanding how important it is to have spaces like that and to be um, taken care of, you know, in a, in a setting that's not, your, that's not your house or it's not, you know, doctor's office, you know, it's like hospitality is like a vital thing for our culture. And so many things in our life rely on it. Um, but the hospitality, it doesn't doesn't work if it's if it's sort of someone's sort of left footing the bill. You know, if someone's getting underpaid, or if the supply chain uh, is questionable, or you know, it's all the kind of external evils of capitalism. Um, so I could go on and on about that. But I think that what we need to see is the worker and the as like the primary site of hospitality. Um, both as the person who's acting it out for the for the paying customer, but also as like, if that person is taken care of, then everything else comes around comes around from that. Like, it's like like water for chocolate. You know, it's like there's, <laughs> you're, it's real. Like you know, it's this emotional uh, well being, physical, emotional, financial well being of people who are performing hospitality for for us should be really important because it's a really hard job. 
and it's not for everybody. It's not something you can just do, you know, like it's really skilled, even if it's, you know, a pretty basic, you know, serving job is a lot. Um, so it's a very special kind of person who can do this. Um, and so I, th I think that going forward, raising wages, yes, I think it's happening across the board. Is it um, different ownership models? Is it like a co-op? Is there other ways of structuring the business um, so that it could be more equitable? Um, like what is, what is the real, like is, like what are the real structural solutions that can happen, um, you know, within this, within, within the current kind of like world? Um, I definitely want to see people uh, like more unions probably um, would be, be helpful. And that the fact that that's actually happening and there's like, I came across this uh, group in New York who's trying to start a union for restaurant workers. They just had like a meeting uh, they're not related to us. We can't do any unioning <laughs> for our 501c3. So, um, but I think that's like greater worker power is going to be uh, not only like the right thing to do, probably also like impossible to not do. Um, both, I think, just because, you know, workers provide value for our society and they do have, actually have a lot of leverage if you think about it. Uh, so taking care of them is going to be really important. Um, and I think also guests too, and the public have a role to, to play in this where, you know, it's gotten, it, I, I, I like talk about this all the time, but like, the, it's like the Portlandia skit sketch where they're like the chicken about the chicken. Yeah, exactly. So you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. they're like, they're like getting like the chickens, like, you know, life story tax like, returns yeah. you know and, <laughs> yeah. they're, and they're getting the life story and they're like mm, but like mm. and then and that's a, that's based on like a real thing or people are like oh is the chicken humanely sourced and it's like oh i won't go to this restaurant because they're not doing their humane you know whatever grass-fed beef but then you could say like well what do you think about the people who are working here like how do you think they're being taken care of like are they happy are they good you know are they being exploited like you don't know and right. there's no curiosity about that at all and you can just kind of ignore it i think it's impossible to ignore now like the well-being of, of, of workers um, is just like not you just can't you just can't escape it anymore. yeah because it's yeah. literally it's like very life or death now too because you're so acutely aware of like transmission and pathogens and particles and PPE and all this stuff. And it's like, that's sort of a, a way in to like seeing like, okay, how do we actually, like if these people aren't here for whatever reason, then this doesn't work. So we need these people to be here and we need them to be happy. Right. God, like that makes my head like spin, just like thinking about like the just total disconnect between, yeah, like people like, you know, caring so much about if they're, yeah meat is whatever x y and z and then like the people that are serving them their food are just like suffering like because they don't make right. a living wage and can't afford to pay rent and like can't right. afford health care or mental health care right. yeah exactly. child support you know like you know whatever so yeah i think that there yeah there's so much to change and like i i'm, I'm always thinking about how how like daunting it feels currently because it's like like you said like there's so much that can be beneficial from unions like because our industry isn't like one conglomerate you know there's right. all these tiny restaurants operating yeah. so I'm always thinking about like 
how do we eliminate tips? How do we eliminate tipping culture? And like, it takes the industry, like it takes everyone doing it. Right. Because you, if you take the chance being the one restaurant in town that has higher prices to pay their staff living wage, then your restaurant fails typically. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's, that's basically what's been proven so far. So it's like kind of looking at that, like massive, like mountain to climb, um, to make change, like the, yeah, there has to be a better structural organization to make it happen. Um, yeah. From the top down. I like that thought about finding ways for there to be different business structure to like have, um, you know, equity in business. And yeah, I never really thought much about that before. Yeah. They do it for grocery stores. So why can't they do it for bars? <laughs> really? They do that for grocery stores? Yeah, like there's like a, there's like a bunch of co-op grocery stores, and you basically oh, buy in. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You buy shares, and you work there, and it's like a whole thing, and you get you know discounts and. Right. There's yeah, maybe not totally tra- translatable, but you know it's not. I'm curious to see. It. I wonder if anybody's tried it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but you're right. It does take like a you know for something like tipping or or compensation or leave or you know anything like that like you can be noble and then go out of business. So it really just takes like a legislative effort, like whether it's like a you know, local, I don't know, local ordinance, a state thing. Um, and that's, I think that's kind of the way to start. And I, you know, I, I think tipping is, is bad because, because of a lot of things, you know, it's like legacy of slavery. It reinforces this hierarchical power structure that leads to a lot of abuse and suffering. Um, but for me, there's always like the the one like element of tipping that I find to be nice, nice, not too strong of a word, but help, helpful for the industry is that it's like a commission. You know, there's like, you know, you're a lot of people who work in sales work on commission. And it, there's a reason why you do that. And it, then it makes things like studying fancy wine or learning more about cocktails or when you get better at your job you make more money in an industry where like pay is pretty much like you get what you get right you know um you you get it raised by going to a fancier place you know uh or you or yeah you you take like a proverb a proverbial pay raise by getting being qualified to serve at a restaurant that sells nicer things or and then you have the ability to sell those things too yeah so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, so there's that there's that incentive to like be better at your job and to be efficient and like there there should be some sort of performance based compensation and whether it's just actually having bosses who pay attention and know what you're doing and they give you a raise because they know that you're great or there's a percentage you know commission or like a I don't know if it's legal everywhere but like why don't they just autograd everybody right right yeah <laughs> yeah because that's like the, the constant conversation is like oh well like you know people don't have a problem paying $15 for a burger and then tipping, you know, five bucks, but they absolutely have a problem with paying $20 for a burger and not tipping. So there's gotta be some kind of happy medium, but I also like, I hadn't, I wonder if there's some kind of somewhere to be in the middle where, when it comes to some kind of commission, because I mean, that's always the sticking point for everybody when it comes to tips is that generally you make really good money working for tips. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, it, time over like the, you know, 
course of year or whatever. Um, but it's not, it's not the money necessarily. It's the like mental hoops of like, you know, 40 tables a night being yeah. told whether or not you're good at your job. Um, yeah. and like, and the choice being left in the hands of a, of a, that, of each individual table to like pay you or not. Yeah. So right. like, there's gotta be like a good, like medium of like a more livable base pay. And then, yeah, some kind of bonus structure. Or... There's yeah, I've probably a bunch of different ways to, to slice it, but you remind me of this thing I say a lot where about tipping where it's like, if you went to your dentist and you walk, talk to the receptionist and they like forgot your name or I don't know, whatever, some, some hiccup happened and you know, whatever is, is mildly you sat in the waiting inconvenient. For a yeah. while. You wouldn't then go to the doctor or den dentist or whatever and be like, Hey, you know, so your receptionist wasn't like that great. So like, can you just not, not pay them for the time that, that we were together? Can you just figure that out? It's exactly what happens with tipping in restaurants. Like it's just an absurd scenario, but it's actually what goes on all the time. So yeah. 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 100%. But, um, well, I know, I believe that there will be brighter days and really great change in the future, but I also believe indeed. that they will be um, fought for and, and hard. Um, so, you know, yeah, it'll require a really, really well-connected industry. And I think that we have that, um, but I don't yeah, that's know anything thing about else this to year. add on that. <laughs> well, like, this, oh. this, this year, it's like a lot of people, uh, you know, who are volunteering for Restaurant Workers Community Foundation were displaced restaurant workers who are now, you know, crushing it, doing like grants and fundraising. You know, it's like amazing. And I think that everyone's, everyone in the industry uh, is, loves the industry because they, they can survive in it because they're very resourceful and like kind of fire putter outer people. <laughs> you know like if you don't like crises and you don't like having surprises at work then you don't work in a restaurant it's so, not for you. <laughs> so it's a self-selecting process of people who are like okay we just got our whole life turned turn upside down like how are we gonna like make this work you know yeah like totally. ice machines broken whatever let's right you know it's the same thing where you know yes there's a lot of real harm and suffering that's happening but the industry i think is like that definitely becoming more interlocked across yeah geography and and everything so yeah yeah i agree this has been such a wonderful conversation thank you for thank you for spending this uh you know almost hour with me and uh letting me forget about my own mental health you know struggles <laughs> today and just get to have a nice conversation i really appreciate it of course yeah thank you um i think i would like to end with um well two questions how can people find you um, on social media or whatever? You don't have to give us your physical address. Um, and, then, <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> and then also, um, I guess one, um, one piece of advice just for, for anybody listening, um, whether, whether it has to do with like mental health or, or our industry in general or something that you've learned about yourself this year, whatever it may be. I know that's really on the spot, so. Mm. Okay, well, uh, I'll give you do the easy answer. Uh, you can find me on probably the best, easiest for everything is just johndeberry.com. That's just goes to everything. But on Twitter and Instagram, I am JND3001. 
um, no Tumblr, deleted Facebook. Uh, <laughs> um, the other day I thought about turning my Tumblr back on to see what was going on back I look day, at Tumblr. Like I love terrifying, Tumblr. Terrifying to think about looking into what my brain was doing the last time yeah. I had that. <laughs> I follow a lot of Tumblr blogs. There's some good, there's some good shit happening on Tumblr still. I believe it. Really? Yeah. Um, what's the advice? Gosh. I don't know if this happened in the last year, but it actually happened. Like I started doing like, um, like talk weekly talk therapy about a year and a half ago. Um, and, uh, it was primarily for insomnia and anxiety. Um, and one of the things that I connected as, as someone who loves like really intense physical workouts, I like to like hot yoga, like running in the sun, like just killing yourself like physically and having that be feeling really good. I didn't have the same kind of indulgence in like my negative like mood states as much, you know, like. I would just be really concerned about being anxious all the time. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm having anxiety. This is bad. Like I'm this, oh my God, I, you know, and like that's this, this whole thing is sort of uh, spirals up. <laughs> and, and for me, it's like, if I can put up with like self-imposed, like physical torture and just set it aside, like I literally have this like gesture I have with myself where it's like, you just take the feeling and just put it over there. And it's there, it's just there, it's just happening. And you don't have to, it's just there. It's not going to go away, but it's just there and just notice it. And that's it. That's all you got to do. So being able to kind of have that moment for yourself and being like, okay, I'm just feeling, this is just how I'm feeling right now. I'm just going to feel it. It's probably not the best feeling in the world. Um, I felt worse. I felt better, but like hat, like that, it's just there. Um, so I, that wasn't really very concise in terms of, in terms of a, a piece of advice, but. Um, oh, I think that that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I do something very similar. Like last night I was bartending and I was just like, I'm, yeah, I'm just like saying this out loud for everybody else. Like not yeah. everything that I think in my head is true. Yeah. Just because I think it does not make it reality. Yeah. And then I was like, Whew. yeah, all right, I'm going to make these drinks. And then like, yeah. you know, I just giving yourself the opportunity to acknowledge I am feeling this way. And that's that. It, it doesn't have to be any more than that. I can just feel this yeah. way. Yeah. It's not, you know, and then tomorrow's a new day and maybe you wake up like I did today feeling the exact same way, <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'm at home. So I just cried about it for a while and now yeah. I can go to work and like really try to leave it, uh, at, you know, at my home door instead of carrying around this feeling, this weight with me. So I think that that's great advice. Thanks. <laughs> Well, thank you for spending some time with me today. Yeah, I hope that you have a really great rest of your weekend. And Thanks. To ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every other Monday for new episodes. And don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.